0: Hello, and welcome to Shakespeare, the official Lionface Productions podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your Mostly Quiet producer. For our first episodes, we will be diving into a favorite, Much Ado About Nothing, and talking about the adaptations and doing a quick overview of the basic plot. As of release, you'll have time to come to Grounds for Thought in Bowling Green, Ohio on December 1st of 2017 to see some of our talented actors doing a stage reading of Much Ado, and we'd love it if you could join us. For more information, be sure to find us at lionfaceproductions.com. And now, on with the show.
1: One of my favorite Shakespeare's.
2: I think it used to be my favorite Shakespeare until I became so inundated with
3: it. It's one of my favorite comedies, for sure. Um, it ranks up there with me, for me, with. Uh, with Tempest and Midsummer. You know, Midsummer being well, both of Tempest and Midsummer romances. They follow the, the three days in a in a wedding rule.
1: I think what sells it for me is that Beatrice and Benedict are my favorite Shakespeare couple. Um because they're a different dynamic than we see in most Mm-hmm. Shakespeare couples with the like biting wit back and forth. You don't see that often. It's they're, more of the like they're equals. Yes. Yeah.
3: The only other analog that is, is similar would be Kate and Petruchio, but and that one a, is also different though too in a lot of ways. There's a weird there's,
1: power dynamic in right, that one Well then,
3: it depends on how it's how it's yes, portrayed as yes, well it does. too. Because you can play it similarly to Benedict and Beatrice. But a lot of the times it's not played that way.
2: Right, but there's still... With Taming of the Shrew, there's the taming, there's the squashing
3: of... Well, it depends on how you play it, though. You can play it where the taming itself is more of a collusion as opposed to a, you know...
2: Right, but but even as even in a collusion, there is the admitting that she needs to tone it the fuck down. <laughs> Whereas uh, with Benedict and Beatrice, they
3: benedict
2: you are an incredible benedict
3: <laughs> i am benedict many times <laughs>
2: <laughs> i was wondering how, how long <laughs> it was going to take us <laughs> i'm going to say you're a to benedict, benedict to. right now uh, so, exactly
3: okay. a minute and 49 <laughs> seconds
0: first <laughs> dick joke
2: it. yay there's,
3: but, there's plenty of dick jokes in this but anyway go sorry the,
2: there go is they very much accept each other exactly as they are and that's not something we see often mm-hmm. Even like other couples, Romeo and Juliet, there's still things that need to change before they can be together. Right. And, and these two need to just realize that they are perfect for each other.
1: But there's not that kind of dreaminess to the romance. There's no dreaminess whatsoever to the romance of Beatrice and Bennett. No, no. And that whatsoever. appeals to me. Well,
2: it's more akin to what actual romance is, which yes. is. I don't like you, I don't like you, I don't like you. Just kidding, I love you.
3: We actually had uh, <laughs> a reading from Much Ado for for our wedding when Hannah and I got married. It mm-hmm. was one of the readings. Because uh, we did the, uh, the no no more than reason, you know, do you not love me? That that scene. Yes, <laughs> no. Wow.
2: no more than reason. Yes.
3: Um, which I thought was one fitting of... Hannah and I, and then, you know, also great for a wedding reading.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We did, we
3: did non traditional wedding readings. Same. <laughs> yeah.
0: All
2: of ours are pretty traditional.
0: Mm, that's okay. I wasn't there.
2: I don't even
1: know that you were born when I got married.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Chase was definitely alive. He was I, alive, I was. but he and
1: I were not dating yet.
0: It's true. So I, I might as well, well not. I, I, was, well, I wasn't Brin's little at that point, so I might as well not have existed.
1: I yeah, we weren't. I don't we didn't know even know each other. That's true. When Beth got married,
3: that's a fact. It's
1: true. It's true. I
2: it's true. was in Beth's wedding. <laughs> that that is also true. These mm-hmm. all of these things are truths.
1: But you were there. I was there, and that's what's important. And it did happen. Your wedding was actually my
2: first legal alcohol consumption. Whoa! It was not Yenrik's. Jan- Jan- <laughs> <laughs> There's so much video of her drinking. <laughs> yeah.
0: Either way. Back to my Kids, don't drink alcohol before you're legal to do so. I say that because I know children will be listening. (laughs) But we,
3: however, will be drinking all night while we do this. So I guess we will talk about the fact that this is Lionface Productions podcast with myself, Ryan Halfhill.
1: Beth Roars. Cassie Greenlee.
3: And Chase Greenlee, way behind the mic on production. Uh, Chase Greenlee is our production man. Uh, Cassie is our... uh, I live here. Special That's
0: guest, hostess. So by, by
3: the fact that she lives here, she's you know going to be around for <laughs> let's, these podcasts.
1: Let's just
2: let's just cut the special guest <laughs> and just realize that. Yeah, Cassie's part of this podcast.
0: <laughs> well,
3: there, 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 there may be times when we want to bring another person in, and so then we'll have to figure out the dynamics of trying to get four people, five people actually, around the microphone.
0: There, there's another way. chair over there.
3: There's right, just good. pillows covering yeah. it. Good. We're good. Good. So as long as we have room for special guests, then Cassie, yes, she's, she's, just, she's no just, longer a special guest. She's
0: just part okay. of our She's just that that our podcast. That was the shortest tenure of a special guest <laughs> ever. Exactly a minute. <laughs> well, you were a
3: special guest for a minute. Now you're just part of this.
2: No. Oh, dear. Um, Back by popular demand, and now part of the regular cast.
3: <laughs> yes, this is uh, this is our kickoff here uh, with the party bard Bar- podcast.
2: Officially episode one.
3: Officially episode one, Officially. and we will be discussing while drinking uh, much ado about nothing.
2: And in fact, you won. The uh, beer theme of the week
3: I did, I won this week's beer theme By bringing uh, Romantic Chemistry by Dogfish Head uh, As my, uh, my beer choice for this evening
2: I'm still really proud of last month's for me Where I brought the Hundred Years' War of beer With English and French beer
3: True. And then the, the last month's reference is to the fact that we have recorded a couple secret episodes that may be leaked out to the public in the future. No, secret.
0: Later. Sorry, Spoilers. Hashtag Spo- spoilers. Spo- spoiler alert. <laughs> Technically not the first time we've done this. <laughs> hashtag blessed.
2: <laughs> hashtag,
0: hashtag blessed. That's
2: Grolsch one.
0: I broke Beth. Gralsh yep. two.
2: Now for Gralsh three. Yeah, I gotta drink more if you're gonna talk like that. Cause at work all day, everybody's blessed.
3: I was off nice. watched a lot of it with my dad Netflix original anime. <laughs> nice. Nice.
2: <laughs> it's not originally on Netflix.
3: No, some of it is. Uh, they have their own original series of a few of them. Uh, Glitter Force Doki Doki, or whatever it's called. Mm. It's a very sparkly. Item.
2: <laughs> my sons watched a Barbie movie on Netflix today while I sat on the couch and watched Korean dramas on my phone. Because I don't feel like watching a Barbie movie, but they should sure like it.
3: I don't think I've ever watched a Barbie movie thing.
2: It's like, all about game coding, so ah, they're super into it. Nice.
3: Fair enough. From Barbie to much
0: do. Much ado. Much All All right, that's two. <laughs>
2: uh, I have told Laura Crawford that I will get up to a minimum of five much don'ts today.
0: I'm not counting that one. No, that was either. just in reference That's too. like saying
2: I'm playing a meow game. It doesn't count as one of the meows. <laughs>
3: That's fair. So let's talk about this play meow.
2: Okay. Aww. <laughs> so we were already talking a little bit about the, uh... Our love couple. Our love couple. Our three love, love interest. Yes. In this, and there are... I'm gonna say three. Yeah, it depends, depends on... Because you've got Hero and Claudio. Yeah. And then you've got Benedict. And Beatrice. <laughs> and Beatrice. But you also have Beatrice and the Prince. And although yes. not a long-term or seriously involved. Okay. But that is your choice as a director. But it still is a relationship that should be talked about because here is a man who wants love, found someone who he feels he could mm-hmm. love, but she's like, you are too costly to wear every day. See, and I don't
3: consider that even a romance at all. The romance with the prince is, initially there's a subplot of uh, Leonardo thinking that the prince is going to go for hero.
2: Well, and that comes into the duplicity within the play.
3: But that's, that's, that's a, a separate that... subplot where Leonardo actually thinks that the prince is interested in hero. And that I, I wiped out completely. I actually do not believe that there is any way that the prince is actually interested in Beatrice. No. No, not even a little bit. I think he's playing along. He's from the get go. He's pretty serious about Benedict and Beatrice. I
1: I think that there are I think there are moments. there are ways to play it because I have seen it played both ways. I've seen it played where he's just playing along, and then I've seen it done really effectively. I think in the David Tennant Catherine Tate. Much ado. I think that's the one um, where you can tell when he goes, when he says to Beatrice, Will you have me, my lady? And she gives her, You know, you are too costly. And he did a really good, like, kind of, Oh, well,
3: that sucks. Well, and that's, that's fair. And y'all. so there's, like, it, you it can play it. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I thought I was going to be bringing this up way later in the podcast, but there's actually a web series modernization of Much Ado that was done by a bunch of high school kids in New Zealand. Oh yeah. Um it's oh. called it's called Nothing Much to Do, and they actually did a really good job with it. We'll have to um,
3: check that out at some point.
1: Absolutely. And there Don Pedro was just a kid named Pedro who was like the king of the school was how they, they played it off. And that very much was a one sided interest in Beatrice and he kind of stepped aside for hmm. Uh, for Ben to to come in, but yeah, that I'll talk about that more later, probably.
2: It is a YouTube
1: series. It is a YouTube series. It's all on YouTube, and it is now saved.
3: Mm-hmm. I will yeah. be watching that. Yeah, definitely. Um, we, can, I mean, we can talk about adaptations that are out there right now. I mean, and,
2: and there are, there are a lot. I think that we'll get to the adaptations a little later. Um, let's talk. I wanted to start with focusing on the themes, and the theme we started with was love. It's love. And how these couples interact towards each other because I think Hero and Claudio have that very traditional
3: Oh, they have the, the, the moon eyed, you know
1: can't function Yeah.
3: But the the Twitter the... they're Twitter painted.
1: Yeah, and it's that fragile love. Very fragile. Because they don't even arrange it for themselves. Like it requires And I think that's a really interesting parallel is that Claudio can't go and talk to Hero himself. It has to be this whole thing with Don Pedro yeah. pretending to be she Claudio. Ask her if she likes me. Oh, well,
3: yeah, it's so very middle school, you know. It's yeah. The, they're passing her the note that says check yes or no.
1: But what's funny to me about that and the parallel that I think is so interesting is you have... Hero and Claudio can't get together on their own, but neither can be in Benedict. Mm-hmm. They also have to have the workaround from the group of friends but with very different results because the couples start from very different places.
3: Oh, yeah, right. incredibly.
1: Where we have the, earnest,
2: the earnestness of Claudio and Hero in their love. We also have, then, the um, denial of the attraction between Benedict and, mm-hmm. and, and Beatrice.
3: Well, and the, the Benedict and Beatrice had, at one point, prior to the events of the play, had a thing.
1: Depending on how that's you play it.
3: Yeah. It's referred to in the text.
1: They've at
2: least had a tongue battle.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's <laughs> one way to say it, Beth.
1: mean that's how I'm referring to it from now on. A okay. tongue battle. A, a, a tongue of of I'm coming
0: in.
2: Oh, Oh, God, the (laughs) married couple just got super
0: gross. (laughs) That was (laughs) actually a Stranger Stranger Things reference. That that, that isn't a Stranger Things reference. That's a Stranger Things after show reference.
1: Oh, I haven't watched the second season, so. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We'll just say there's some kisses. (laughs) Ew! I know. Is this um, a kissing book?
3: It is a kissing book. Um, <laughs> this book is definitely a kissing
1: and book. And one of the 13-year-olds who had to kiss another 13-year-old apparently to prepare her for that in the shot without moving his lips just went, I'm coming in, <laughs> right before he kissed her. <laughs> because 13-year-olds.
3: But
2: uh, I'm really glad I'm not 13 anymore. But at least there,
3: there is there is reference to, to Benedict and Beatrice uh, having something... In the past. Mm-hmm. And something
2: that must have left them both a little scarred, but still thinking of each other.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Whatever
2: definitely. it was, whatever sort of in-passing thing happened <laughs> on their way out to war, now they're on the way back. And one of the first things she asks about He's is whether up, or not yes. he is still alive, whether or not he came back.
3: Well, because she had promised to eat everything they killed. <laughs> Senior Montanto returned from the war.
2: Yes.
3: Passenger is very confused because he doesn't understand the dynamic between Benedict and Beatrice, while Leonardo definitely does.
2: Of all adaptations that I have seen, that initial start is still... is Emma Thompson is still my favorite. Yes. She salty, witty reportees better than
1: anyone else. She absolutely Especially against Kenneth yeah. Branagh, because they were married. So... God, they were married when well, they were married. do you forget that? Because she's
2: married to Willoughby. <laughs> I mean, I I don't know what the actor's name is,
1: but isn't she still married to Willoughby? From from which one? From nineteen ninety five or from two okay, thousand and seven? Okay, we're not
3: he's... here to talk about Jane Austen. Jane Austen. That
1: can be another podcast later.
3: Yeah, there's <gasps> another, this, this has-
1: Can we have a drunk Jane Austen podcast? We can have a you drunk Jane Austen Yay! podcast.
3: This has <laughs> nothing to do with Jane Austen. <laughs>
2: We'll have a Cassie Wrangles Beth Jane Austen podcast. <laughs> yes. All right. Oh, no.
3: But anyway, I, I do agree. Emma Thompson in the beginning of the Brain Aw adaptation is oh. amazing. Yes. She's amazing throughout as Beatrice. Well, and we could, but that, that.
2: When you look at how Catherine Tate does it, who is a consummate comedian. Yes. Versus Emma Thompson, even that consummate comedian, who's, her comedic timing is always spot on because there's not. I mean. Oh, she's very witty. I will give her that, but it's the comic timing that makes Catherine Tate hilarious. Right. Emma Thompson's delivery mm-hmm. is so perfect, so perfect. Yeah. That? Oh yeah. I can I can switch out all the other Benedicts and Beatrices throughout the rest of the the play and the different adaptations, but that one is what I always come back to. Yeah. No, she's great. She's
3: amazing at well, it. Well, and and that opening scene really sets the entire show in such a way. Like it's one of the the best opening scenes of any Shakespearean play is the introduction of the characters that you get largely through Beatrice and first her her dialogue with the messenger with Leonardo's occasional interjections and then when Benedict does arrive and that and that interaction theres just it sets the entire play
1: mm-hmm. And I love that she comes out on top of that argument.
3: Oh, yeah. yeah. Because
1: Benedict just gets to the point where he's like, then and walks away. And she's like, okay. So
2: can you think of a single argument that they have in which Beatrice does not come out on top? I feel that she wins every argument that she and Benedict have. But at no time do I feel like Benedict's power in agency mm-hmm. is lost for her winning. Yeah. Because that's the other side you see of these couple dynamics. There are a it few that could probably go either
3: one. way, because they have a few interactions where it could it could go either way. But I can definitely you can definitely make a strong case for the fact that Beatrice wins all the arguments. Yeah. Definitely can't really argue too much with that. There are, like I said, there are a few that could probably go either way, but especially that opening exchange, Beatrice definitely comes out on top of that. Yeah, she has him flustered and beaten before he even really speaks.
2: So one thing I didn't check before.
3: And that's actually, I think, part of my joy with Benedict in it is that he is always working from behind but never (laughs) realizes that he is.
0: Usually you know when you're doing that. (laughs) (laughs) crazy. Uh, before before we get too much further, I think it might actually behoove us uh, to summarize the plot of this play. Because I'm going to go on a limb and guess that we might have a couple of listeners that have not had the pleasure of reading and or seeing this uh, particular If show. your
2: high school didn't force you to read Much Ado About Nothing at some point in time or watch it in an English class, guess we could go break what down. The,
3: the standard for, at least back when I was in high school was, uh, the standard four was Romeo and Juliet,
2: mm-hmm.
3: Julius Caesar, mm-hmm. um, I want to say Mackers, Mackers, and, Mackers and, and then Hamlet. Hamlet. You know, freshman year was Romeo and Juliet. And then it goes to straight to tragedy after that. Yeah. <laughs> you have Julius Caesar,
0: Mackers, and then it's all uh, yeah. I don't.
2: I um, feel like we did much from
0: Midsummer in there, and you've pretty much got it for me.
2: Well, we performed Midsummer. Mm. I don't think we read it in class. We mm-hmm. only see. I convinced actually. my junior
0: high English teacher to let us do Midsummer for class.
2: Nice. Yeah. But that's
0: because
3: I was. That was right when I was getting into Shakespeare. Was around mm-hmm. sixth, seventh grade. Sure.
1: So, do you want to sum it up? So we've got what so, okay. a messenger arrives. A messenger. Well, okay. So there's Leonardo has a daughter named hero and a niece named beatrice and we never really figure out what happens to beatrice's parents it's, uh, it's, to, it's, it's they're dead yeah uh, because
3: antonio leonardo's brother is not beatrice's, is not beatrice's father, father. um but okay so benedict don pedro all of them have gone to war they're returning from war then back to messina where leonardo and you know his family lives and the the people going to war were not from Messina, but they have been there, and they have, uh, you know, on their way to war. So they're returning. So they're they're already familiar with each other. Um, Don Pedro was already known by Leonardo, Benedict and Beatrice already know each other. Claudio has seen Hero before, but does not truly see her until they return from the war. He comes back. They're starstruck, Benedict and Beatrice. So that's basically the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Is the return from the war. Everybody, everybody falls into that. And then, if you move on, when you move on from there, Don John, who is also the brother of Don Pedro, the bastard brother of Don Pedro, um, his plot comes in because he's a resentful bastard that you know.
2: As most to, bastards are.
3: Wants to fuck with uh, everyone's leg- happiness. <laughs> yes, his <laughs> legitimate
2: he's, he's
1: one of those fun villains who I don't know that you could really reason with him. Because he just wants to make people miserable. He's like Iago.
3: Yeah, and he he doesn't care who. He's just waiting for some opportunity to come forth for him to cause trouble. That's what it is. He wants Mm -hmm. to cause trouble.
2: And Iago, Iago though, he has a point. Iago wants to take Othello's spot. Yeah.
3: Whereas Don John is just resentful and bitter. He's never
2: going to get there. He's just there to throw rocks at the people he just he just wants to make people miserable so yeah but so so
3: then we, we we move into don john looking for something to start shit because that's where the play progresses from everyone coming in and meeting um you have a little conversation between uh leonardo and antonio that follows the meeting and then you move right into don john talking to his cronies about okay find me something that I can do to fuck shit up here.
2: Yep. So we have a big party.
3: And then the party happens.
2: And in a big party, all of our couples make their first connections. And Don John can see, oh, well there's a couple and there's a couple and let's fuck with this couple here. So Claudio and Hero, that's where we start. And in true Shakespearean form, let's do it through the maid. Because nobody can tell the difference between a maid and her mistress when high up in a window at night. (laughs)
3: Yeah, that is where yeah. it starts. And it actually it starts with Don John knowing Claudio seeing seeing Don Pedro wooing uh hero for Claudio. And then Don John seeing that, knowing which one of the, the men is Claudio because it is a mask ball. Mm-hmm. But he goes, No, nope, that guy right there is Claudio. So he goes over and goes and and refers to Claudio as Benedict and pretends that he's talking to Benedict And Claudio then, of course, responds as Benedict because it's a mass ball and he wants to hear what Don John is going to say. And Don John, that's the first attempt of Don John to lead everything astray by saying that Don Pedro is wooing Hero 4 himself, which gets Claudio salty right off the bat.
1: Yeah, almost works. And I like that setup because Claudio is a problematic character for me and I kind of hate him.
3: Well, you um, start to see Claudio's two colors there uh, Yes, how problematic he is. How problematic
1: well, he, he is isn't... and how easily he's how gullible he is mm-hmm. and how easily he's led to believe things that aren't true even when he knows they aren't true and how quickly he jumps to conclusions without having all the facts. Well, and that is... He's got
3: to jump to conclusions, Matt.
0: It's because, yeah. He's got their own
1: conclusions <laughs> on it <laughs> and, and he jumps just... to them. Oh, yes. oh. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> so he gets all nice
0: sick office he gets there. all
1: salty and jealous thinking that Don Pedro is trying to steal his or woman away space. from him yes. space, and then it. when Don Pedro comes back and says I did it, I won her and Claudia's like yeah I bet you won her good, good job and, and Don Pedro toy. says yeah for you she's gonna marry you all so taken care of, dude.
3: And then he, all, then he gets all... It's like,
1: oh, yay, happiness yeah. and sunshine. It shows how weak he is as a, yes. as a character. Yes. His character is weak. Yes.
3: Yes, yes. Claudio Claudia is incredibly problematic throughout the entire piece. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and... He's that guy with no backbone. Yeah.
3: yeah. And he's incredibly sensitive to everything that could change around him. And when things do change around him, then we see that he has a bit of a temper, uh, to say the least. And it depends on how you adapt it. Uh, yes. The Branagh adaptation plays up the misogyny of Much Do About Nothing right to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of the other adaptations, like the, the Joss Whedon adaptation, really tones down
1: I almost liked Claudio in that one.
3: It tones down that angle of it and makes Claudio much more sympathetic mm-hmm. because it's not that he is angry at Hiro, he is hurt. He's
1: hurt, and I think that's an important distinction. And
3: Whereas, it, whereas in the Brain Eye adaptation, and many of the adaptations I've seen, and even when I played Claudio uh, once upon a time, the angry Claudio is more often than not what mm-hmm. you see. The The... His pride, his masculinity, is damaged by this supposed betrayal, and instead of well, listening to Hero and getting to the bottom of it and and trusting her, angry Claudio simply bulldozes through.
2: Yeah, but can you trust someone who you met three days ago? Well, I think that's definitely part of the
1: part of the problem.
3: It's a week at this point.
1: Yeah. a week at this point. Still. Yeah. Five seven days is not enough time to know someone to know talk somebody, about. especially when you, you didn't even talk take, to like be the one to talk to them. But no, so, yeah, anyway. you
3: passed her a note in, in yeah. math class. So,
1: but this is indicative
2: of gender relations at the time mm-hmm. that Shakespeare is writing this, which is fifteen, uh, late fifteen fifties, late fifteen fifties.
3: But it's it's a but either way. It's but to go against what you're saying there with the gender relations, he in the same play mm-hmm. writes. A, a gender relation that is, you know, simply perfect.
2: And that is the crux of the play, though. The mm-hmm. crux of the play is not Hero and Claudio. The crux of the play... Is Beatrice and Benedict. And is, that's... That is what he is turning on its head. Because when yeah. we look at authors, what are you doing? What's your theme? The theme mm-hmm. the, of, the, of the entire play is that these two individuals are different... And they see each other for who they are, and they love each other for who they are, opposed to their antithesis, which is Hero am Claudio, who s- don't see each other, who love each other for what they believe the other person to be, mm-hmm. even when that other that belief then turns to something rotten, and we we stopped in our plot.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, we got to <laughs> yeah, because a-
1: after the party, so the wedding is set up. Mm-hmm. And then everything goes fairly happy sunshine for a while because
3: that's when we get the to love garden, the garden scene.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes,
3: and the garden scene, the, the the two separate garden scenes that sometimes you see play at the same time as one another, um, where the men of the play
2: mm-hmm.
3: convince. Benedict by letting him eavesdrop on their conversation that Beatrice is in love with him and the ladies of the play by letting Beatrice eavesdrop on them convince Beatrice that Benedict is in love with her.
1: And I love I love watching that scene play out because it's written so that certain members of the party trying to do this convincing are horrible actors And take it, you know, way too far. But Beatrice and Benedict, I think, want to hear this and want to believe it. They they
3: want to believe it, and I totally, I totally, it it is the best scene. Those two scenes together. I mean, it is two separate scenes, but that whole scene itself, that whole setting there, is the best in the show.
1: Yeah, it's it's some of the funniest stuff I think Shakespeare wrote, Um, and just the immediate turnaround of. She loves me? Why, of course I love her, too. And and the same thing on her end. Um, and I love the, for we are the only love gods. Mm-hmm. And they just concoct this whole plot.
3: Yeah. Well, he, he even starts, Benedict even starts the beginning of his half of the garden scene by, with a, with a de- further denunciation of love and marriage and everything like that. And then literally over the span of one scene... When I, Ends
1: with yes, the, I did not think I would live so long. Yeah, when I said I would die a bachelor, I did not think I would live to be married. I should not think I would still be
3: alive. <laughs> yeah,
1: and so he justifies everything. He that
3: finds a way to justify alive. everything that literally ten, five, ten pages ago he had denounced wholeheartedly. Yeah. yeah, and so then we have we have that happen. We fast forward a few days to the night before the wedding um where Don John puts his plot in action mm-hmm. to have Porachio at uh Ursula or at Hero's window with Margaret um somehow con- con- conveniently Hero was not in her own room that night
2: Well it would have been common for people to sleep like co co-sleeping was very but her time. her common
3: Her, uh, her common bedfellow is also conveniently not with her in
1: Beatrice. Ah, Shakespeare, how could you? And so Don John has Claudio and the prince, but not Benedict, that's important. Claudio and the prince down in the garden to watch from the window, and he goes, Hey, look, I don't want to be the one to tell you this because I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but Hero's been cheating on you and I can prove it. And because Claudio's easily suggestible, he sees a silhouette in a window and goes,
3: "And here's here's a male voice calling that woman."
1: Hero. hero. Yep.
2: <laughs> and then that's all he needs. And then he does the worst thing I can think of,
1: which Listen. is instead of talking to her and asking about it, he waits until she is gathered and brought before him at the wedding in front of in all front of her everybody hands hands. to and denounce then her he publicly. Shits
3: on everything.
1: Yep. <laughs>
2: Throws her down.
3: He's like a he's like a puppy that you brought home, <laughs> and you're like, here's your new toy. You walk out of the room, and the puppy is literally <laughs> shit on everything. Are you talking about your dog? No, no, I'm just talking about dogs in general. It's like that, you know, that first thing. It's like, it's Claudio is the puppy of...
1: Yeah. So Hero faints
2: from the show. The first time he has to stand up for his love...
1: Nope. Nope. Breaks it. And Hero faints. He storms out with Don Pedro... And Don John, and then Leonardo makes me angry, because Leonardo also immediately believes that his daughter has done it. Okay, let's
2: roll back a little bit here. Let's say it's your mom or dad. Yeah. And let's say somebody comes up, and in front of them is like, oh my gosh, Cassie, I saw you, and just, uh, gu- guy and Clan, this is all fictitious. <laughs> I never saw this, it didn't happen. Oh my gosh. Cassie, I saw you publicly getting naughty on the hood of a car while smoking cigarettes and drinking Cuban rum
1: without paying the embargo tax. I like to think that my parents would trust me enough that they go, that doesn't sound anything like like my daughter.
2: Okay, but let's say they do it in the middle of church where the entire congregation knows everything about them. Is their first response, how dare you attack my daughter? Which hopefully it is. I Um, hope so. I know your mom well enough to... Wendy, I understand that uh, actually your response would be, how dare you attack my daughter? Um, Or is their first thought, how could she do that? So in a a time period in which women's entire worth Mm -hmm. is based on their virtue and their reputation... What is the first thought? How could you belie my daughter? Or is your first thought, oh no, her reputation? How could you have done anything that would in any way, hurt your reputation?
3: Well, but- and this is this is my interjection where that goes for Leonardo, and not that I agree with Leonardo, and and Leonardo's response bothers me, and actually, for the stage reading that we're doing, I have cut it in a couple different ways. To lessen mm-hmm. the way Leonardo's re- the harshness of Leonardo's response, um, because I don't like it. But um, for Leonardo, who was hoping that his daughter would marry the prince, she is still supposed to be marrying a count. Yep, and and one of the prince's best friends, and a and a boon companion. To the prince, who will be high in the court and everything like that, and so not that it justifies Leonardo's response, but it does explain Leonardo's response.
1: Yeah, I do understand why he responds the way he does. It still pisses me off. Oh
3: no, oh, I, it I should. I, I <laughs> totally agree with you. Yeah. it a... should piss you off. But it it is it is a response that makes sense. It is it is overboard. Yeah. It is overboard, and it is it is wrong that a parent would their first response would be to immediately believe the terrible thing that's being said about their child without talking to their child about it.
1: But he turns his opinion pretty quickly. He does, and what I really appreciate about this scene is that and up he to may, this, he may be the
2: MacGuffin for her explanation. Mm-hmm.
1: But up to this point, when you think about the trio of Benedict, Claudio, and Don Pedro, Don Pedro and Claudio have seemed to be the sensible ones, and Benedict (laughs) has seemed to be the one who's, like, super out there. But in this scene, Benedict becomes the voice of reason, Mm -hmm. who, like, goes to Leonardo basically and says... Slow your roll. Let's all take a step back and breathe for a second. Breathe, no. And let's see if we can talk this out and figure out what the hell is actually going on.
3: Yeah. Yep.
1: And and that for me is a really important moment of growth for Benedict. Yeah.
3: And actually, some of the some of the most poignant lines that Beatrice delivers are in the end of this
1: scene. I love the end of this scene. I the scene. The end of the wedding of the scene, scene so between
3: Benedict and Beatrice, after everyone else has left. And Benedict goes to Beatrice, uh, lady. Have you have you cried all this mm-hmm. while? And the the conversation that they have after that is one of the some of the most poignant things that you mm-hmm. get in this show. Yeah. Between Benedict and Beatrice, especially there, and it cements their relationship.
1: It does, and I love the kill Claudio exchange because they have this confession of love, and they Beatrice is upset with herself for being happy when all this horrible stuff has happened mm-hmm. to her cousin, and. Benedict basically says, give me a task to do to prove that I love you. And she says, kill Claudio. And he laughs because he thinks she's joking.
3: Mm -hmm. Because she is being ridiculous.
1: She's being ridiculous. But then she gets mad at him for that response. And while I think, you know, killing Claudio is drastic, I can understand her response to that, which is, if you're not willing to back up these words that you have said to me by your actions... And by standing with me on my side, then they mean nothing, and I would rather you get out of my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that dynamic between them. When he does at the end, agree, I will denounce mm-hmm. Claudio's actions. I will do it publicly, and if he doesn't repent of it, it I will, will sever. I will sever ties with him.
3: Yep. Yeah, I, I, I am engaged. I, I am thus engaged. I will challenge Claudio and if he does not accept my challenge I will call him a coward and and you know everything like that and it's it's the best way for Benedict to respond for one
1: mm-hmm.
3: because he doesn't want to kill his friend he wants to talk to his friend and figure out and
1: figure out what's going on. His friend
3: is so stupid. And
1: so I think it becomes interesting that that Benedict is being the voice of reason on many sides yeah. in this with He's trying, know, Don Pedro, with Don, he's trying to be yeah. reasonable, and he's trying to be reasonable with Beatrice as well by saying, "Let's not go all the way to Don't be hasty. Yeah. Let's well, talk this out." And it changes these two
2: characters that we've gotten in the beginning with Benedict and Beatrice of they were almost. The
1: again.
2: You are such a Benedict. Um,
1: mm, mm. It changes the characters. It up. changes
2: the characters from this absurdity. Because they're absurd in the beginning. They're just like, hate, 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 hate. Bicker, 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 bicker. We're so clever to all of a sudden being reasonable, accountable, grown-ups. Yes. When no one else is being a grown-up. Yes. Not that the Kill Claudio is really super grown-up, but but all of a sudden we see them ground themselves. And the thing
3: that we haven't talked about, actually, which goes back into this, that uh, the first Dogberry scene occurs prior to the wedding.
1: Dogberry's the idiot of this play and the we fo- have oh. we haven't dropped his name yet. But, uh, first
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. We have to stop for a second <laughs> Cassie, did you just call the fool of a Shakespeare play the idiot? I do I'm not sorry. like Dogberry. Oh. I don't. Dogberry like is the. That's is fine, one of and you cannot like life. Dogberry. I'm sorry, we <laughs> will both disagree with you. <laughs> that's fine. You can disagree with me. I don't. Where I'm going to disagree with you like is that the best part of every Shakespeare play is the fool, and I do still have in my head. Not only did I write a short play about the fools' meeting, but there is a longer play, maybe even a novel someday about the background game of the fools. They are the most interesting part and Dogberry is wonderful. Take a back. Take a back. No.
0: Okay. okay. Can, I, can, I, can I put at least a common ground here? Dipping back into um, the adaptations uh, Nathan Fillion
1: Nathan Fillion did sell me on Dogberry Nathan I will. Fillion, Nathan Fillion yeah.
3: is, is wonderful as Dogberry and Michael Keaton was delightful in the right
1: z- Okay, I,
3: I do have me. to
1: say that I didn't really like Michael Keaton's I think I, that <laughs> may be I think that may be where my main dislike yeah. of Dogberry stands no, I mean, for uh, uh, Michael, like Michael Keaton, Keaton was phenomenal
3: as Dogberry
2: Right, but he plays he plays it as such a drunkard
3: He's not I, drunk though I know, but, but he plays it as a drunkard but he, he plays the, li- the way the lines are written the lines are written in that idiotic fashion.
2: But he's swaying and falling. You called him an idiot, too. Are you going to No, The lines or? are written
3: in an idiotic fashion. Did you call me an idiot? <laughs> Let the record state. Oh, that I were written down an Oh, that I were written
1: down an ass. Oh, that I an ass. I, um, no, Nathan but, Fillion did saw me on the character.
3: But the, fir- the, the plot has been discovered by someone.
1: Who nobody takes seriously. Who nobody takes I seriously. And I do like that. Before.
3: Now, but they don't bother to go tell anyone about it before the wedding.
1: They try to. Uh, Yeah, they try to. He tries to go to Leonardo. He's like, hey, I got this guy in my Mm -hmm. station, and he's got a story. And And Leonardo, because Dogberry is so ridiculous so often, is like, hey, um, I'm in the middle of something really important. Can talk to me about this later? Let's do this. We'll do this tomorrow.
3: All right, if you say so. He he could have made Leonardo aware. Leonardo Mm -hmm. could have been aware of the plot ahead of time, and the audience gets to see that. And then, But then we get to get more fun dogberry scenes after yes. that, where they do the questioning of Conrad and Baraccio and things like that. But, so basically, with we the wedding, everyone's upset. Um, <laughs> to put it bluntly mildly and, and mildly, mad. everyone's mad. That's and no two one is acts, okay. by the way.
2: Summed up. Two acts right there. Everybody's mad. And
3: then, and actually, this is, we're through, we're, the, the wedding doesn't happen until Act 4. Yeah.
1: Oh, I thought it was Act 3. Right. Uh, the exact, wedding is the beginning no, of Act four, 4. Because then the priest comes up Friar with Francis what I like to call the Romeo and Juliet plot because he's like we'll tell them heroes dead and I read that the first time I went oh good because this has never gone horribly wrong before
3: well, but, it, it, but, but it hadn't but it, actually, it hadn't
1: yeah no, I know but
0: it actually
3: goes right in this.
1: it goes right in this one yes actually I've got
3: to go and, and, the, and Friar Francis the most boring boring that ever boring <laughs> yes Friar Francis is boring.
2: I'm sorry. When I played Friar Francis, I made it very entertaining. I patted my belly the whole time.
3: The Friar Francis's words are boring. But you need them because Friar Francis is also the exposition.
1: Die today to live. Happy tomorrow. To live happy tomorrow. So he says, we're going to tell them Hero's dead. We're going to tell them that she and died. And this is going to
3: make Claudio... Realize it, it, that he was an asshole. Well, no. It's like, first, the, the most important thing is not, not that it is going to automatically make Claudio realize he was an asshole. It's going to automatically soften Claudio to hero because he was an asshole.
2: Yeah, what you do was written before Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, but I didn't encounter them in that order. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the first time Shakespeare uses the, let's pretend you're dead plot. He will continue to use it (laughs) because it happens in this and it happens in Winter's Tale Kind of. Well, t- she's a statue. But <laughs> we're going to get to that one someday. Well, yeah,
3: we'll definitely, we'll be covering Winter's Tale at some point.
2: I yes. love Winter's Tale, but it is... Me too, but
3: it's ridiculous. Um, it is a cacophony of dumbness. Friar Francis comes in with, with exposition slash plot moving forward mm-hmm. and says, okay, we're going to do this. And it will soften Claudio's feelings because he was an asshole.
2: And then he's going to agree, slight unseen... To marry your cousin,
1: <laughs> yes,
3: and then because then Leonardo, who has been convinced now because of hero and uh her reaction, and it's the only time that hero really gets to show any kind of fire at all is okay. when she 's firing back at the at accusation. Her dad, yeah it's the only time she shows any kind of character <laughs> sadly she, she is two dimensional fairly she is, except for in. Except for post fainting, when she is, you know seriously, Standing this didn't happen. Self, when on. she finally stands up for herself and tells her dad, like, No, I <laughs> I didn't fuck that what dude. What the fuck, man? Didn't fuck that dude. And and so he he listens to her, which is a big deal as well. Yeah. Um and then Don John starts to realize, oh, shit's going against me now, so he flees. Conrad and Baraccio, finally their story is told to the Sexton, who they finally bring it to uh, and this is actually finally where Leonardo actually believes well, is. Yeah. And after, it's not
2: Dogberry, because Dogberry brings the Sexton, doesn't he?
3: Dogberry goes, they get the Sexton, they get Dogberry Virgis, and the Sexton, and the watchman, and Conrad and Baraccio, and finally the whole story is written yeah. down. And then Dogberry goes to Leonardo with the Sexton,
2: Mm-hmm. There's something like, your words are too clever for me.
3: Yes, Ugh. but Dogberry runs into uh, on his way. He runs into Don Pedro and Claudio, and he and they. This is after benedict has gone and challenged claudia which
1: i adore I that, love scene. that scene that scene is it. so because they're all joking and joshing and making fun of him for being in love and you he's have, like belied and murdered and he's like no guys i'm done joking i'm done yeah. playing around you're in the wrong i Killed
3: that woman yeah you killed that poor woman
2: and she did nothing wrong you were wrong so okay, there's one
1: there's How one adaptation it, where he like though? slaps Claudio, and it's amazing.
3: And then, but then after that challenge happens, and they've they've sombered down a little bit, then Dogberry shows up with the sexton, and then and Barraccio, and Barraccio tells Don Pedro and Claudio about the lie, mm-hmm. and they both shit their drawers.
1: And then they find out that Don John has fled.
3: So they yeah. find out that Don John was obviously in on it.
1: Yeah, Don and they John's like, shit their, she's dead?
3: Then they shit their drawers Please, even dude. more. Yeah. And that's when Leonardo shows up and goes, okay, well, you murdered my daughter, but... You can have my cu- my, my niece. My I have niece. a niece that looks like her.
2: Yeah, almost exactly. She could be your twin.
3: Yeah. Uh, but you need to go spend all night at her grave and make amends before I'll let you meet this you know niece of mine. But yeah. you can
1: only meet her while you're marrying her. And what I what I actually really do like about that being part of Claudia's punishment is you get that parallel to you rejected this woman who you knew. And now you have to accept like literally a veiled woman who we are just scene. telling you, eh, "Did he really know well, her?" Well, but 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 they he had, knew had what she was. Yeah. Courtships were
3: quick back
0: in that day yeah. anyway. Mm-hmm. There were no long long courtships.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He also didn't live past 50, so <laughs> I mean...
1: And so, yeah, so he agrees In to Middle this East sight right scene wedding. So basically, anyway... He agrees to this sight scene wedding and after he says, yes, I will marry you and then Hero pulls her veil back. Oh, and it's really Hero. It's really Hero and she's, you know, while I was <coughs> While I lived, I was your other wife. Uh, yeah. <coughs> And I, well, I, I I died but while my Shame lived Shame lived or something like that. And and that's to me the most just irritating thing that she Yeah, she's like, like oh,
2: When I was alive still I you thought I was terrible, but then I died and I'm all good now, right?
3: And then yeah. we get the reconciliation of, of you know Benedict and Beatrice And everyone, their love is thrown out into the open. Uh,
1: And And then then they both deny it, and it's great.
3: And then the goofiest ending ever. With the letters? Well, no, no, the goofiest ending being, okay, well, let's go get married. And Benedict's like, yeah, but first, we're going to do some dancing. (laughs) (laughs) The goofiest ending ever. Yes.
2: It's the John Hughes ending.
3: Yeah, (laughs) but that doesn't make it good.
2: Oh,
1: and it's, about
3: and it. Then, then I misunderstood what John Hughes movies were <laughs> well, I and don't this... think the John Hughes movies are necessarily
1: good and I think the very end of this kind of supports the idea that the Duke may have Don Pedro of the Prince may have had actual feelings for Beatrice because
3: well his oh. response
1: well because it's uh there's something about you know you look sad get the wife is mm-hmm. Benedict's final yeah yeah, yeah. Get the a
3: wife. But yeah so now we've we've covered the plot. So basically, to to the super spe- the super speedy sum up of the plot is dudes return from war, meet ladies. <laughs> There's a party. Don John fucks with everything. Yep. Uh, everything cr- goes south quick. Fool learns about the fucking with. No one wants to listen to him because he's the fool. Everything goes south at the wedding. Lots of mad. So much Magically, bad. everyone's okay
2: again. Then more dancing. And then dancing. And then we dance, yes. And now we dance. Strike
3: up pipers bye. or whatnot. Snail. Yep.
2: But
3: yeah, so that is the the plot of Much Do About Nothing in the fastest way possible. So
2: my only, like...
3: But about, this this actually is not a romance because it takes place over the course of more than three days.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's not... The typical structure. I'll give you that. Um, my So my big problem with the plot right now, as I sit here, is... So let's say you break up with a woman while you're staying at her dad's house. Do you stick around for a couple of days? Or do you maybe leave <laughs> after you've broken up with her? Specifically if you broke up with her loudly in front of everybody. I believe that our lovely showrunner is whispering
0: things, which means we're about to take a little break. Well, actually, instead of taking a break, we're actually probably going to just call it right here for this episode. Okay. Um, And then we can take a break, and then we will... We will reconvene and continue talking about much ado have we really been episode, talking
2: for 90 minutes it,
0: it, we've been talking for it, it has been a, it's almost 50.
3: It's almost I mean, we're, we're, we're close on 50 minutes which is about the length we're shooting for for an episode 45 to 50 minutes you know less than an hour wow. um, so we will we will now that we have actually had some pretty great discre- discussion about the plot and some of the, the themes, the and, adaptations. themes and, and, and adaptations. We will delve further into the text, I think, when we come back together. Yeah,
2: there's
3: so there's um, a lot of great stuff in we'll, this play. We'll go ahead and sign off for now. So uh I'm Ryan Halfhill.
2: I'm Beth Roars,
1: Cassie Greenley.
3: And I'm Chase Greenley. Thank you for listening to episode one.
1: <laughs>